From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at online learning and how decades of research can help teachers, families, and students of all ages navigate an unprecedented era in American education. There is no time for current faculty and teachers in K-12 schools, as well as parents, to really design meaningful online courses or online teaching interactions that are based on instructional design processes or pedagogy of online learning or digital pedagogies. And so that is why everyone's calling this unprecedented lift to online teaching, sort of, you know, emergency, remote learning, if you will. We welcome George Mason University's Nada DeBach, author of the 2019 book, Meaningful Online Learning, Integrating Strategies, Activities, and Learning Technologies for Effective Design. DeBach joins us to discuss some evidence-based strategies for online teaching and learning, Because you're online, time changes. When you design curricula, you need to space the content differently. You might stagger some of your assignments to make sure that they're not all coming at the same time. You want to um, stagger teamwork. You want to make sure that the groups that the students are working with are manageable and some practical tips for instructors and families trying to maintain a quality educational experience outside of the classroom. I would ask the parents to organize the day in between studying and, you know, helping in the house and also going outdoors if possible and maybe doing some exercise and taking downtime for yourself. So it takes the village, I mean, to be able to keep a daily routine so that you can engage in these learning opportunities in a meaningful way. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello, and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Hugh-Miller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nada DeBach, Professor and Director of the Division of Learning Technologies in the College of Education and Human Development at George Mason University. Uh, She's also the author of the 2019 book, Meaningful Online Learning, Integrating Strategies, Activities, and Learning Technologies for Effective Designs. Thanks so much for joining us, Nada. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me. So, We are, without question, living in an unprecedented moment in American education. Uh, Currently, as we're speaking, more than 100,000 public schools across the country have closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And in many cases, they will remain closed for at least the remainder of the school year. Millions of students and their teachers are now engaged in online learning, and uh, a significant portion of them may have little to no experience doing so. So... Uh, Needless to say, there's a lot of questions right now, but I'd like to start more generally if we can. In your experience, is there a significant difference between teaching online and teaching in person? And how would you suggest that instructors think about and approach that difference? Uh, Sure, absolutely. The key word that you just said, Keith, is uh, significant. Uh, There is definitely a significant difference between 
teaching face-to-face and teaching online and designing face-to-face courses or curricula versus designing online uh, courses and curricula. But I do want to start first by saying that these are unprecedented times, as you had mentioned, and we are not really moving to online learning in in a meaningful way, meaning there is no time for current faculty and teachers in K-12 schools, as well as parents, to uh, really design meaningful online courses or online teaching interactions um, that are uh, based on uh, instructional design processes or uh, pedagogy of online learning or digital pedagogies, because there's simply not, not enough time to do this. And so that is why um, everyone's calling this uh, unprecedented lift to online teaching, uh, sort of, uh, you know, emergency, remote learning, if you will. So I just want to emphasize that what we're in is sort of a makeshift or an ad hoc way of transitioning all of our face-to-face interactions and face-to-face instruction to an online or digital format. Now, having said that, there's definitely a significant difference between um, face-to-face and online teaching. And um, I would say there are four maybe principles that are significantly different. First of all, time is a big, big issue or big difference between uh, face-to-face and online teaching. In general, the research has uh, showed or demonstrated that uh, online teaching it takes a lot of time, a lot more time than face-to-face teaching because of the need to be more proactive, provide uh, consistent feedback to students and provide one-on-one feedback to students as opposed to when you're in a face-to-face setting, you can generally give feedback in a more broad way, addressing the entire class uh, at the same time. What, where, when you move online, this this totally changes. Also, in order to have engaging online uh, interactions or an online environment, uh, a lot more has to take place than um, in face-to-face. Uh, it's very difficult online to also assess the cues of your students, how they're looking, whether they're really understanding the content, um, what is their engagement level, and therefore, these social cues are absent, uh, particularly in asynchronous online teaching environments, and even in synchronous when you're able to see your students in a video uh, conferencing platform, it's also difficult to uh, assess whether they're engaged or not. Uh, that is another you know, significant difference between uh, face-to-face and, and online. And then finally, there's also the issue of persistence and um, completion rates in online learning environments. The research has also told us that uh, many students uh, have difficulty completing uh, online learning assignments or interactions, and that's because um, a lot more self-regulated learning is required, and we don't teach our students enough how to be self-regulated and how to organize their time, manage their time, plan their assignments, when to start, when to seek assistance from peers, from the instructor. So this is also another um, huge significant difference between face-to-face and and online learning is that 
it takes a lot out of our students to be able to persist in the course and um, stay engaged and and complete their assignments. So I would say um, the the time, the quality of the of the class to make it engaging and and effective, uh, the issue of completion and persistence. Uh, enabling our students to be more self-regulated, and the the design or development of online learning courses. All these uh, four uh, principles are definitely make them very di- make online teaching very different from face to face. One of the more uh, common questions that we've seen lately relates to synchronous versus asynchronous content. Uh, that is, you know, using live instruction versus pre-recorded or pre-designed instructional materials and how to balance the two. What have you learned either in your work or in the literature about the effectiveness of those approaches and what suggestions would you have for teachers trying to leverage them with today's students? So synchronicity, uh, synchronous versus asynchronous. My suggestion would be uh, to have a blend of both And that would depend on what you're trying to achieve in your class. It will also depend on who your learners are. For example, adult learners who work full-time, who have to take care of kids, who are parenting, and trying to juggle many things at, uh, at the same time, I would suggest asynchronous interactions would be the most useful for this population, for, for this learning population, because they like to do things at their own time, perhaps later in the evening after their kids have gone to sleep uh, or uh, during lunch breaks or different times during the day. So asynchronous learning or communication is most useful for adult learners. However, if you're teaching more younger uh, learners, then they would benefit from seeing you uh, on a video platform as a teacher, the ability for them to be able to raise their hand, for example, virtually, as we know a lot of the platforms that we use to support online learning have this feature where students are able to click on something showing that they have a question or they may even be on a video themselves where they can um, make a motion that they would like to ask a question so it uh, it depends on uh, your uh, learners, uh, their age groups, uh, and it also depends on uh, the learning activity that you are designing uh, for your course. So, for example, if your pedagogy, let's say, is collaborative and you want to engage your students in teamwork, and so that would be a great opportunity to do synchronous because Many of the platforms that we use right now for online teaching allow something called breakout rooms or breakout groups. And you could be, for example, providing a lecture and your students are seeing you um, online and they're seeing your gestures. You may even be using a whiteboard to do some modeling. If you're teaching math, you might be modeling how you're working through an equation Um, you know, what we say is worked examples in front of them and they'd be seeing that. And so that gives them the opportunity to also interrupt you uh, uh, in a positive way and ask questions if you let them know that they're able to do that uh, or uh, post something in a chat box uh, that they have a question and then you can click uh, stop your lecture or stop your modeling example and listen to their question and provide an answer. And you can also then 
break them out into virtual group, uh, rooms and tell them, okay, now I would like to give you this math problem to work out or um, this uh, assignment to work uh, in a team of five. And they will be able to also virtually, synchronously, at the same time, live, interact with each other, come up with a solution, perhaps even um, type in some of these uh, solutions into a, say, Google Slides uh, because it's open and free, or and they could then share it and come back and share it with the instructor and with the entire class. Of course, this is assuming um, that your class is reasonably not not too large, medium size. I mean, if you had 100 students at a higher education uh, institution level, then it would take a lot of effort and know-how to, to have, you know, 10 breakout rooms and then manage all that for, from a time perspective. But if you had a class of 40 to 50 students, that could be done more easily. So again, synchronous is more impactful in the immediate sense. It really... Uh, gives your students a sense of social presence. They feel that they are with others in this virtual space and not sort of working on their own. The asynchronous, you could have asynchronous discussions, let's say, and we do that a lot in higher ed. We engage our students in a lot of threaded asynchronous discussions. And you also need to consider your learner profiles their age group, and of course, the learning activity that you're doing in, in, in your class. So I would say these would help you make a decision when to do synchronous versus asynchronous. In, in this very challenging time, though, I would probably, if you're teaching in higher ed, I would encourage the asynchronous approach for sure. If you're teaching younger children, uh, perhaps having a one-hour synchronous lesson with them during the day would, would help them stay more on track and feel that they're engaged. Um, in terms of curriculum, uh, many might be wondering about presentation and time on task uh, and time on task. In your work, have you found that material should be presented online in relatively the same way and for the same duration as in-person instruction? Or does research suggest that there are changes teachers should consider and designing a distance learning approach? Uh, absolutely. For entire curricular designs, as well as uh, programs and courses, there is a different way of uh, arranging the materials of the course or the content of the course, if you will. Because you're online, time changes. Everything changes. The pace changes. The time changes. So, for example, when students are used to going to a class Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, for one and a half hours each time, or their graduate students are probably going in face-to-face -face for one day a week for three and a half hours. If they're K to 12, you know, they're in school uh, pretty much five, six hours for the entire day. So they get there, they're face-to-face, -face, they have their peers, they have their teachers, you're interacting, the teacher is teaching, uh, you're, you're doing the group work with your team, uh, with other peer learners. In online learning environments, uh, it, it's very different. When you design curricula, you need to space the content differently. So you would perhaps look at it in chunks of you know, days versus weeks, depending on whether you're teaching synchronous or asynchronous. 
you might stagger some of your assignments to make sure that they're not all coming at the same time, particularly if you're talking about an entire curriculum. You really need to sort of work with the faculty who are teaching this entire curriculum to make sure that the assignments that are being requested in the different classes are not all due at, you know, at the same time. Uh, you want to stagger uh, deadlines or um, assignment due dates. You want to um, stagger teamwork. You want to make sure that the groups that the students are working with are manageable. So there are many uh, different things to consider uh, when you're designing online content. Uh, typically, in a face-to-face -face course in a higher education setting, you know, we, we work by semesters, like 15-week semesters. With online curricula, um, the trend seems to be, and I don't have research to support why, but the trend seems to be a three-credit course can easily be achievable in an eight-week time frame, seven and a half to eight-week time frame, providing the students are not taking, you know, five courses in the same if eight weeks. Again, I don't have research to support whether it's working better than spanning a whole online course over 15 weeks, but it seems to be the shorter, what we call micro-credentialing uh, types of environments where the students are doing also more self-paced, more self-directed online learning, particularly for the adult student population. That seems to be the trend uh, in terms of curriculum design versus the face-to-face -face that can actually um, take much longer. One of the overriding questions for nearly all Americans right now um, has been, how do we maintain social interaction and connection in such an isolating time? Are there any research-backed methods or approaches for fostering a sense of community among students in an online setting? Absolutely. And this is actually one of my favorite um, areas of research uh, in online learning. So um, there are a lot of interaction frameworks um, around. I go back to Moore back in uh, the 80s uh, when he came up with um, an interaction framework that had sort of three types of interaction learner content interaction, learner-instructor interaction, and learner-learner interaction. So that was meant for distance learning. At the time, we used to call it distance learning. Now, of course, we refer to this as online learning. This idea of interaction to build a sense of community, social presence, instructor presence, student presence, a sense of uh, inquiry is really, really important in, in online learning. So there are many types of interactions in the literature, and um, it has been supported that if you design your online learning courses or curricula using these types of interactions, it will result in a more engaged learner. So it's really important to sort of unpack uh, these interactions uh, based on your course learning outcomes and objectives. What are you trying to get your students to learn? What do you want them to accomplish in the course? And uh, what skills would you like them to achieve? And break that down into the types of interactions. So how do I do learner content interactions? You know, do I do lectures that are just five to 10 minutes and then potentially 
embed questions in these lectures for the students to engage them so they can be answering questions, sort of taking a mastery learning approach here where the students are able to gauge their understanding by uh, answering questions uh, in your PowerPoint slides or your lectures and getting immediate feedback as to whether they're able to understand the content that you're trying to convey to them. There's also learner-instructor interactions. Those could happen sort of one-on-one, office hour meetings virtually with your, with your students, uh, enabling them to ask questions outside of the regular class session, whether it's synchronous or asynchronous, but e- encouraging them to interact with you as a faculty member, with you as a teacher. And be able to, you as a teacher, you know, get a sense of how well uh, they're doing, whether they're struggling with something. You also need to give them an opportunity to interact with other learners and peers in their classes. And this can all be done asynchronously. You can um, get them matched together to talk with each other in an asynchronous chat, for example, Or you could also have them video chat with each other. You can have them use social media uh, or on a Facebook page to help them interact with each other and interact with you as a teacher. And then, of course, there's the learner group interaction. So the learner group would be more uh, sort of when you belong to a community of practice. Um, In the corporate world, we refer to uh, these communities as communities of practice, and they're totally online and they're very virtual and you can go in as a learner and ask questions and look at best practices of what others are doing in in that specific field or practice. But there's also learning communities that uh, students can belong to uh, to support uh, the sort of learning group communication. So this this whole idea of interaction is really important, and it has been uh, well supported in the literature and well substantiated in the literature that it does. Like these types of interactions, if you go through them, you know, what am I doing for learner content? What am I doing for learner instructor interaction? What am I doing for learner learner interaction? What am I doing for learner group interaction? What am I doing for learner coach or mentor tutor um, interaction? Um, you know, if, if that's needed. And if you could sort of lay these out Uh, The research has definitely told us um, that they improve engagement and they definitely improve student learning outcomes. So in the K-12 sphere in particular, we've seen a significant push in recent years toward more personalized small group instruction in schools. In your experience, is there a way to maintain that sort of intimacy in an online setting or is that simply an unavoidable loss in a time like this? In a time when we are rushing to put content online because we want our students to be able to finish the school year in a, you know the best way we can, we're doing the best we can, teachers are doing the best they can uh, to try to finish off the school year for students, I think it will be difficult to maintain this personalized learning particularly, as you mentioned, if it pertains to uh, putting students in small groups. So that would be the learner group interaction that I referred to earlier. Because in an online setting, you do need a facilitator. You do need the teacher to be able to be there for that small group setting and 
if they are able to do it through their learning management system, through breakout rooms, as I had suggested. But I'm not sure that K-12 students in particular, how should I put this, are ready to manage their own small group interactions on, on their own. I'm afraid, you know, without a teacher being there in the classroom, sort of going around the tables as the students are working on their own in small teams. I think this will be difficult to maintain currently. But as we go forward and as we move forward, I think students will become ready if we train them uh, how to take leading roles and how to join small learning groups and uh, practice their skills within their peers. So it kind of goes back to this learner-learner or learner-peer interaction, if you will, where you partner with another learner to practice, uh, say, presentation skills if or communication skills or whatever the course that you're taking is enabling you to, to learn. So uh, I, I would say this is going to be difficult in the, in the next few months to achieve. However, moving forward is what I'm hoping is that we empower our students at any level, whether in K-12 or whether in higher ed or even professional development. We, we need to do a better job of empowering our students to kind of create their own learning spaces and uh, be confident in uh, self-regulated learning skills. This is really, really important for pursuing and persisting in digital learning or online learning spaces. So we need to do a better job of helping our students learn organizational skills, study skills, self-regulated learning skills, and more importantly, how to do that also with the types of digital technologies that are available to us. So there are many, I guess, ed tech companies that are coming up with all different types of apps or platforms that support students in enabling them to uh, explore resources on their own, as long as they're curated resources, be able to select resources that they think are going to help them complete an assignment, and then be able to aggregate and document those resources sort of in their own learning space, and then be able to reach out to peers or to communities of practice or learning communities in order to seek help on things or be able to, you know, get a different perspective uh, on, on what they're trying to learn. So I think this is going to take us time, but eventually we will get there. One of the more uh, prominent concerns we've heard in recent weeks relates to access and equity, how this monumental shift to online learning will impact those students without access to high-speed internet, tablets, and the like. Is there any indication either in your work or in prior research that districts and families are right to be concerned about equity right now? Um, and if so, can you think of anything that might be done to mitigate it? Uh, sure, absolutely. We have to be concerned about, about equity. Uh, I just heard recently from an internet access perspective uh, in terms of bandwidth, because we're all suffering with bandwidth issues. And this is another another reason why synchronous learning is going to be difficult in this time, because synchronous learning requires more bandwidth, particularly if you're using uh, video casting uh, with your students. So there's definitely bandwidth issues. 
But I did hear a positive thing from Educause. Educause is our information technology association that's been around for a very long time. So a positive thing came out that there are some internet-based companies that are now waiving data fees for families and maybe even allowing unlimited data by using their phones as a hotspot. So I'm sure you, you, you've heard the term hotspot. So, so if you have a mobile phone and you, you can turn on uh, the phone, make it as a hotspot to enable you to get on your laptop and use it as providing internet for your laptop or your tablet or your iPad, and then be able to do work uh, or learn there if your internet access is uh, not uh, doing well and not allowing you. Because now a lot of parents and students are at home and most students, particularly in K-12, are using tablets and even their mobile phones for learning and for Um, checking videos and for interacting with their peers and they're using all these uh, mobile apps to do that. So what's happening is, yes, there is a whole uh, stress on your network at home. Plus, there are also, I am sure, folks who are living in um, remote areas that maybe don't even have internet access and they may be relying mostly on cellular technology. So There is definitely a concern uh, about that. In terms of how are we to address this, this is a a difficult question. And and that's why I I would say don't inundate your students with lectures that are, if, if the lectures are more audio, the more audio you can use, the lower bandwidth, it would, it would be try not to use a lot of high fidelity video uh, with your with your students, and that's why also the asynchronous probably will work better in, in this difficult time that we're we're in. So the the tech companies are trying to help people, you know, have better access in their homes due to the situation. But in terms of remote learning or or online learning, we could also potentially go to a shift. If you remember, in the old days. Um, there was TV, like you could turn on your TV and listen to a lecture uh, on your TV. There used to be a t- learning through TV. There was also learning through radio. And in many of the you know, underdeveloped countries, radio is still a way to provide uh, teaching or instructional uh, materials to a family. I doubt whether anyone still has DVDs or CDs, but now it reminds me, you know, these these things sort of come into play where you have low-tech, low-touch types of technologies. For example, the podcast that you're doing with me right now, I would say this is low-tech, low-touch, and probably most people uh, would be able to access this on their regular phone, even, you know, on their computer uh, through through the audio thing. So we need to be creative about about this and see if we can go back to more of a low-tech approach to providing instruction to, to students at the moment. Before we wrap up uh, this discussion, um, I just wanted to ask if you have any other suggestions or best practices that you've learned throughout your career that you think might be useful to teachers or even to families during this obviously trying time? Again, I teach mostly graduate students in higher education, uh, you know, university setting. 
Um, I used to teach middle school a long time ago, but many of my students now uh, are at home with their kids and they are parents and they're trying to finish their graduate degree. Same time, they're trying to help their kids stay on track and be organized and they're all at home. So I find myself interestingly uh, mentoring these students I- in that way, the same as I would do, you know, with, with my own children. And so w- what I recommend is to sort of set a daily schedule for yourself and for your kids and stagger the use of your computers and laptops uh, across your kids if there's a need to do that and you have low bandwidth, you know, sort of assign um, different kids, different times to sort of do their homework, interact with their teachers in school uh, via video or however their teachers would like them to do that. I've heard many students who are parents inundated on WhatsApp, for example. Many teachers have been trying and they're trying their best, you know, to post messages to the parents via WhatsApp uh, about what they expect their their class to do, what assignments to do, but the parents are getting really weary and they're getting uh, very frustrated and they're they're just they're just not able to manage that. So, for teachers, I would say you know try to do a one day email per class or maybe even every other day. Try to lay out a very well organized plan of what you expect your students to accomplish, just like we're doing in the higher ed space and trying to stagger and pace uh, things uh, and not inundate people with, you know, so many emails per day or so many WhatsApp postings uh, per day. And I would I would uh, ask the parents to, again, organize the day in between uh, studying and, you know, helping in the house and also going outdoors if possible and maybe doing some exercise and taking time uh, downtime for yourself. So it takes it takes a village, I mean, to be able to keep a daily routine so that you can engage in these uh, learning opportunities uh, in, in a meaningful way. That would be my, my advice. Nada Debach, once again, is Professor and Director of the Division of Learning Technologies in the College of Education and Human Development at George Mason University and author of the 2019 book, Meaningful Online Learning, Integrating Strategies, Activities, and Learning Technologies for Effective Designs. Thanks so much for joining us today, Nada. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter, at CPRE Hub. That's C P R E 